Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And so, yeah, guys, I'm feeling better. We're back doing the show. A lot of stuff going on in the background. You know, good things. Really, really, really good things. And so, I just wanted to let you guys know that I appreciate you. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Um, There's going to be some changes coming up that probably won't be until around October. Not sure if I can say the beginning, middle, or latter part of October. However, it will happen. And so, (laughs) you know, it's been a lot going on, and last week, you know, we did the show and we talked about what happened down in Seaville, Charlottesville, and some of the fallout from there. And what took place Monday and Tuesday? I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and this new profound level of, you know, fuckery. And I thought he couldn't go any lower, you know, President Bannon there. But he has found, he's found new depths. You know, you know. Is, I guess the floor is not at the level I think it is. He will always find a lower low, right? And so it was interesting because I actually wanted to do a show on Tuesday, but I was too afraid to do the show because I thought I would miss some fuckery. And, you know, this, you know, watching the responses, the half responses and the non-responses, you know, have been quite interesting. And on Wednesday when his attorney, Dowd, forwarded that email talking about, you know, the Civil War, you know, Robert E. Lee, successionism, all of that. And I was like, wow, you know, we see where he's getting this from. And, you know, the urban myth that Trump is, is, you know, speaking on not only during his rallies when he was a candidate, but even now in his tweets was this, you know, general Pershing and bullets and pig blood and it's been debunked and all of these things and, and he keeps repeating it. And what's so interesting is is that the people that are around him, you know, some may have tried to give him some insight and enlighten him on that. And, of course, he's ignoring that, but it doesn't help that he has a number of sycophants around him that encourage that type of talk, that encourages that type of behavior, that encourages, you know, you know this, this ignorance. And so it's funny because you have a lot of people who are pointing at Bannon and attempting to say that it's Bannon's influence that's causing Trump to say these things and to behave in this manner. And the truth of the matter is, it's not. And so even on Tuesday when, when you know, Donald Trump gave his white supremacist apologist talk, um, he, he clarified and he made sure everyone knew that Bannon came in towards the end of his run. And Bannon had only been with him for a year. So, you know, he made that clear. He wanted you to know that he was his own person. 
and that nobody influences him and that he's the one in charge and, you know, he's the boss, you know, you know, he's the rule maker. And so it's just really interesting when you start looking at that and seeing the egos and, 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 and also seeing the insecurity because when you see people behave in that matter, it exposes so many things. And there's a lot of psychology behind all of that. And no, I am not a psychologist. And no, I did not. Um, let's just say no, I'm not a psychologist. And so, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on here and what we're dealing with. I mean, we don't have the end all be all. We don't have all the answers. But what I would say to you is to keep your eyes open, keep your ears open pay attention, and, you know, we'll go from there. But, you know, that display on Tuesday was just eye-opening. And when I say it was eye-opening, you know, look, as I stated on the show before, several shows ago, when I talked about Trump, and I said that black and brown people believe Trump. You know, when someone shows you who they are, you believe them. Black and brown people believe Trump. It was the white people who did not believe Trump. And that is how we are where we are. And so, you know, there are a number of things that I want to talk about today, but I wanted to bring that up. And I also wanted to correct something from last week. Last week, I believe, and I didn't go back to listen, but I believe I stated that James Fields had been released and was trying to talk to the cameras and he was drowned out and had to run and was protected by the police. That was that was an error on my behalf. It was not James Fields. James Fields is the white supremacist murderer that killed Heather Heyer. And he is still in jail with no bond. Um the person that I was speaking of or the person that, you know, um that that was in the middle of that situation was one of the chief architects or organizers of that rally in Seville. So that he was the one, I don't even know his name, that's how important he is to me, but that one particular white supremacist, you know, he was the one running from the police. And interestingly enough, um, there is a documentary that was filmed through vice.com and so let me just tell you about the documentary before I go into the rest of that, by Vice.com. And it was talking to a number of these white supremacists and documenting the activities in Seville. And one of the white supremacists, you know, the, the boldest one, the one that, you know, was just planted, you know, pandering to the camera, pandering to his audience base what have you, he was the one stating that Donald Trump was not racist enough because he handed his daughter over to a Jewish man. And, you know, this guy was talking about, this white supremacist was talking about, um, you know, there's going to be more death, more bloodshed, more violence, and that's what he wanted, and that's what he was expecting. And so, you know, of course he had his little stick fence around there, you know, egging him on. And so interestingly enough, when America in general, not necessarily as a whole, but I'm just going to say America in general, when people started responding, whether they were for or against the rally, what happened was 
law enforcement had no other choice but to become involved in that. And so this particular white supremacist suddenly started changing his tune, stating that they had to keep a low profile, they had to lay low, and he was crying because, you know, he felt as though he was going to end up dead because of his stance regarding racism and this ethnostate and a number of other things that these white supremacists want. And so he was crying and, you know, going through the motions there. And so I found that quite interesting. You know, he was emboldened and empowered through that, that, that show of unity, you know, with him and his other white supremacist buddies. But when there were consequences and accountability was being demanded, now he's in tears. Now he's hiding. From my understanding, they have a couple of warrants out for him, and he's afraid that he's going to be killed. So um, there's a lot more to that story. You can go and look that up yourself. But it's been very interesting. And for those of you who watch a lot of you know videos and read a lot of the articles coming from Vice.com, what I would advise you to do is go look is go look at the history of Vice.com. You need to go and look and see who some of the co-founders were and who are some of the venture capitalists that are pumping money into Vice. And needless to say, you're going to find it very interesting, but you're going to find the name of at least one prominent white supremacist as one of the founders of Vice. And so, again, you know, as I spoke last week regarding what happened in Seville, you know, I talked about how it was a well-preplanned race riot, but I also talked about how it was a very well-funded race riot. So, as I always say, follow the money. Go back, pay attention to what's happening, um, you know, keep your eyes out because, again, at this point, we need to make races afraid again. We really have to do this and because otherwise this is only going to grow. And so I am going to talk about Boston but not quite yet. And, you know, but the show in Boston, you know, the number of people that showed up in Boston as well as other cities and towns across this nation as counter-protesters to this white supremacy doctrine that they have out here, you know, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So, you know, again, I want to applaud um, everyone who helped to make that happen, and that's just not the people who showed up. That includes the people who spread the word, whether it's through social media, getting on the phone, you know, making cold calls, hot calls, whatever, you know, whatever role you play, you know, we thank you, you know, because not everybody is going to be able to go out there. Not everybody is even going to be able to retweet or, you know, or post things. So, again, um, you know, everybody has a role to play, and I think it's important that we acknowledge that and that we not necessarily, um, you know, start vilifying certain people who are not able to get out there because there are a number of reasons. However, when I state that, I want to make sure that I make myself very clear. I'm not telling you to be silent. You can't be silent. You know, you can't. You're going to have to say something. 
And and I'm not saying not to participate because we need for you to participate. And I'm going to get more into that later on in the show, but I want to make sure that it's understood that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should not participate. I'm not saying that you should not um, speak and be vocal. I'm not saying any of those things. You have to engage. And that's everybody across the board, but especially white people. You know, this burden is yours to carry because you you benefit from this white supremacist ideology, this white supremacist, you know, dialogue and the privileges that come with that. You benefit from that. And so, you know, I'll get more into that a little bit later, but I just think it's important that we talk about some of the things that's happening now. I want to address some of the things that I've stated in the past year, especially in regards to the Trump campaign. And so I remember stating on several occasions that there were not enough white people to get Donald Trump elected. And so let me explain what I meant by that. What I meant by that was when you start looking at the white population, and the demographics and, you know, their voting patterns, none of us anticipated that white union workers or unionists um, and certain white working class people, we did not anticipate them voting for Trump because um, historically they voted Democratic. Now, we kind of figured that the blue dog Democrats would vote for Trump. And so when when the you know the white unionists and certain factions of the white working class, when you know we figured everything out after the smoke cleared after you know the the, the election, you know it's astounding. And so you know I have to take that back. I have to eat that. Apparently there are enough white people to get Donald Trump elected, even with the dog whistles. And and this is not letting white people off the hook because, see, he told you who and what he was. You didn't believe him, many of you. And what's interesting is some of the ones that did believe it, you know, they they allowed their, you know, their nationalist attitudes and, 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 you know, overtake them, and they voted with that. They voted with their pocketbooks. But I've stated that all along. Americans vote with their pocketbooks, and history supports that. And so that's why I ask you guys to go back and do some reading and get a better understanding of this country and the politics and, you know, the culture behind a lot of this. And so, you know, I definitely have to go back, and I have to eat those words. You know, and again, I toward the end, I knew Donald Trump was going to win. You know, but the way that some of the dominoes shifted and how some of them fell, that was surprising. So, you know, when I was reading the post-mortem accounts of the election, I was just absolutely astounded, especially when I saw that 13% of black men voted for Donald Trump. You know, and I hate to admit this, but this is true. I have family members that voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. And that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) And it came as a surprise to me. And, you know, and, and the ones that voted for him, of course, 
they didn't tell me. I heard this through, you know, the little grapevine. And um, it's interesting, to say the least. Um, Yeah, so that's that. I'm going to let that go, and I'm going to move on. But I will revisit it eventually, but I'm still processing that myself, although um, in one particular situation, I can kind of understand content or why he's a malcontent in certain regards, but, you know, that's neither here nor there, you know, because it's done. It's done. People voted. This is who we got, and this is what we have to deal with. So before I go and really get into this, I want to acknowledge that Dick Gregory passed away, and so our condolences to his friends and family and his fan base, you know, um, he's been around for a long time. You know, you can get a lot of wisdom from, you know, individuals like that, especially if you go back to Dick Gregory's early days. You know, he's always been a civil rights activist. You know, he marched, you know, in, in a number of civil rights rallies and marches across this country and other parts of the world. So it's important that we acknowledge that and, and, and that we give some honor to, you know, a pioneer. He was definitely one of the pioneers. Richard Pryor said that, you know, had there been no um, no Dick Gregory, he probably wouldn't have had his career. So he says his career was owed to Dick Gregory. And so, you know, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, we mention people like that, you know, Paul Mooney. You know, there are quite a few people who wrote a lot of the material for um, a lot of these celebrities that you see out here, whether they're comedians or singers or what have you. So, you know, there were a lot of people that paved the way. And one thing that I say is that we need to learn from that, but we also need to acknowledge the pain and the suffering that they had to endure. That was not easy for them in many regards, you know, especially if you had to um, be on the Chitlin tour or the Chitlin circuit, you know, go back and do some research as to what that is and what that means and how that came about. Um, earlier this morning, found out that Jerry Lewis passed away. So, again, my condolences to his family and friends and his fan base. And I used to love Jerry Lewis, you know, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. And, you know, when you're a child, because I was a child, you know, I enjoyed the comedy, the movies. And now as an adult, now, okay, let me let me explain myself. An adult 15, 20 years ago, Kim, is different than the adult Kim of 2017. So the old adult Kim, you know, would still watch the movies and laugh and not think anything about it. But over time and being involved in these different communities, um, being enlightened by, you know, people that have come and gone in my life and being challenged by these people and reading and gleaning knowledge here and there, now when I look at some of the old, you know, Martin and Lewis movies and even Abbott and Costello, and, you know, it's a bunch of movies, a bunch of, you know, folks that I enjoyed then, when I, when I remember some of these movies and watch some of them, I find elements that are problematic 
and not only just with the white ones, but with some of the black ones too. And and it's interesting because, you know, I think I've stated on this show before, why can't I just watch a commercial, a TV show, or a movie and just enjoy it instead of bringing the cultural and the political, you know, elements and, and, and talking points and arguments to it? But it's hard not to do that, especially when, you know, a lot of that is harmful to a number of people. So, you know, again, go back and, you know, do some reading. I encourage people, read, 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 engage, talk to other people. You know, there should be people around you that are challenging you. That's extremely important. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping that I challenge you guys, you know, with what we talk about on this show. And I'm going to repeat the book that I just bought. I still haven't had a chance to crack into it, really. But the name of the book is White Nationalism, Black Interest. Again, White Nationalism, Black Interest, and Conservative Public Policy in the Black Community. And this was written by Ronald W. Walters. So, again, that's Ronald W. Walters, White Nationalism, Black Mm -hmm. Interest. And so... I'm trying to figure out, I can't remember how I came across um, this book, but it had to have been through one of the talking heads, one of the political and cultural pundits that I saw on television, and someone must have referenced it, and um, I'm glad that they did. And sometimes I'll go on, you know, some of these um, resellers, book resellers, and I'll just put in cold words like, you know, black nationalism or white nationalism and um and, and different things like that and I come up with some good books and you know I try to pull them and read them. And for those of us that are on a budget, sometimes those books come in PDF form. So when I tell you the name of some of these books, if you go and you do a search with a PDF, um you may be able to find a lot of these books online for free in PDF form. You know, I do encourage people to go over to Google Books, and you can find, you know, you know, most of these books, you can read a good chunk of the book for free. And so, you know, go out there. Start doing that. You know, educate yourself. Educate others. You know, share that information with them. So, anyway, you know, um, it's a lot that I want to go over today. It's a lot of things that I want to talk about um, I'm just scratching the surface. Um, when, when I talk about things on this show, I never want people to believe or think that I'm giving you a comprehensive, you know, or exhaustive, um, um, you know, introduction to these things or a synopsis. No, I'm just scratching the surface. And I do just enough to pique your interest because I want you to go out and read this for yourself. And what I do know for sure is while you're researching this, you're going to run across other things because that, that is what happens to me. I'll start out looking for one thing, and next thing I know, you know, I don't took a nosedive through the rabbit hole. So, you know, this happened. So, all right, today's show is Dear White Christian America, I'm Just Asking Questions. And so, uh <laughs> Again, dear white Christian America, let's be honest, I have some questions for you. Why are you so silent? You're normally vocal about everything. Are you feeling convicted or conflicted or ashamed? 
do you facilitate constructive and uplifting dialogues about racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, etc.? Why or why not? Or do you suppress these much-needed discussions and dialogues, right? Are you a white supremacist? Would Jesus or God support white supremacy? What's your sermon going to be about, you know, today during prayer meeting or your Tuesday service or however you do that, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, choir rehearsal, you know, the picnic, you know, whatever. You know, what are you going to talk about? Um, You know, would, would Jesus or God approve of your choice? You know, would Jesus or God endorse Donald Trump? And, and you know, one of my biggest questions, and, you know, I talk about this often, but could you live in a theocracy? And I'm talking about a real theocracy because what's so interesting is when you start talking to some theists about the Bible. Now, I'm talking about the Christian Bible, you know, and because this is what I know. This is what I grew up with. And so what was interesting is, some of the rhetoric that you hear from, you know, a lot of theologians are basically that the New Testament came about and it had to be written and, it, and things had to change and Jesus had to come because under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they could not live under the laws, the Christian laws. And so... <laughs> You know, that, you know, Jesus had to come and shed his blood to, to I guess, cleanse those sins away. You know, and, and, and this is why you hear some Christians saying that they are living um, according to the laws of the New Testament as opposed to the laws of the Old Testament because under those particular laws, you know, everybody was sinning. They couldn't live under it. So my question is, could you live in a theocracy, a real theocracy? Because when you have someone like Pence as the vice president who can, you know, could be president any day, whether Donald Trump resigns or he's impeached or he dies, you know, you know, Pence is dangerous, okay, and just go and do some reading, do some research to get a better understanding of what I'm saying there. And so if you're not having these particular conversations, asking these questions and many, many more questions, because it's not just limited to this, you know, but if you're not having these conversations or asking these questions, you're actually part of the problem because there is nothing wrong with asking questions and there is nothing wrong with having these conversations. And, you know, and it's not about having conversations with people and and you receive confirmation bias because, unfortunately, you have a lot of people who will only converse and talk with and read, you know, information and people that, that have the same thought process and beliefs as themselves. That is not how you grow, you know. And so it's been really interesting because, you know, with a lot of the deaths and near deaths and tragedies that have taken place over the past five years, you know, of my life, but especially the past, you know, couple of years, you know, it, it has you thinking. 
And, you know, you go through these periods of time where you're trying to not only understand the people around you but understand yourself and trying to figure out how you can become a better person, how you can serve others, how you can serve your community, how you can be an asset as opposed to a liability, but then also be able to identify liabilities and assets in your life. And so sometimes you just have to cut bait and let go because there are going to be some people and some situations that you're just going to have to let go. You're going to have to, you know, let them go out, figure some shit out on their own, and and it's okay, you know. And, and so it's just, it's been interesting. But, yeah, you know, the Seville thing, it's just, it's, it's just crazy. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that happened this week, and it's not even really a big deal, but... You know, the way that it's being played out in the media, it's coming across as a big deal. And that's Steve Bannon leaving the White House and going back over to Breitbart. And so what's interesting is when a lot of the workers on the stock market, when, when they found out, they played some clips of this, when the word got out that Steve Bannon had, you know, resigned from the White House, you heard some of the, you know, people there, they were shouting and, you know, happy that Steve Bannon had left the White House. And if you want a better understanding of why that happened, you need to go up and look up Bannon and Cohen and, and their little war they had with each other and why Steve and Bannon wanted Cohen out and and how some of the comments that Steve Bannon made in a few interviews before his announced resignation, um, how it had an impact or allegedly had an impact on the stock market. And they're trying to attribute some of the losses on, you know, in the stock market this week, they're trying to attribute it to Steve Bannon. And then you have this other faction over here that's saying that Donald Trump will be better now that Steve Bannon is gone because they thought that Steve Bannon was a bad influence on Trump. And that's not exactly true, because Trump was like this before Bannon came along. What happened was, you know, the two of them got together, and, you know, they're, they have kindred, you know, common understandings. They have a lot in common. And so that is one of the reasons why they became such good friends and and Bannon was brought into the Trump camp. And so while, you know, Donald Trump is not the brightest crayon in the box, and to be honest with you, Steve Bannon can run circles around Donald Trump, and that's just my opinion. But he can run circles around Donald Trump. Donald Trump was like this before Steve Bannon. And you guys need to understand that. Donald Trump has been problematic from day one. And if you go back and you look at his history and you look at his father, 
and what his father was involved in, being arrested at a Klan meeting, being sued because they would not rent to black people. I mean, and, and money that they received from the government that was supposed to be allocated for um, affordable housing, low-income housing, they used it for anything but that, right? And it's not just Donald Trump. It's a lot of these wealthy white landowners that have done this. So it's not an isolated situation or incident. And so, you know, when I talk about these things, this is what I want you to go and I want you to look up and to get a better understanding of how this works. And one of the reasons why Donald Trump is extremely problematic to be in that office of the presidency because he's going to turn a blind eye and allow this to continue. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse. And so go back, do some reading. But, you know, Steve Bannon is out of the White House, but that's not going to stop Donald Trump from being a racist asshole, okay? He was one before Steve Bannon. He was one with Steve Bannon. He's going to be one after Steve Bannon. That doesn't change, you know, and Bannon did not write that white supremacist apologist talk that Trump gave Tuesday. Those were Trump's words, and he wanted you to know that those were his words. He was this way before Bannon, and he's going to be this way after Bannon. So you just need to understand that. You know, one of the controversies that I've seen, you know, coming around is people are wondering if he's going to pardon Sheriff Arpaio, right? And there are people who do not want him to go to Phoenix and hold that rally. As a matter of fact, um, the mayor you know, requested that they reschedule, but Donald Trump is not paying him any attention, and he's going to do what he wants to do. I mean, he's been doing it all along, and he's gotten away with it. I mean, he's the walking example of white male privilege, white supremacy. You know, it's so interesting because on Twitter, you know, you have, you know, you have all of these wonderful people where one of the most poignant tweets that I saw this weekend was someone was stating that, you know, Donald Trump and these white supremacists are saying that these statues and these monuments to the Confederacy, that, it's, that they're beautiful and it's a part of history and why would you want to take them down? You know, why are you trying to get rid of, you know, the historical value and all of these things? Yet, these are the same people that are digging up and throwing away ancient and historical, you know, grounds and sacred grounds of the indigenous people to build a pipeline. So keeping symbols of hate and torture and torment and peril, keeping those in place, that's good. But these ancient and sac you know, sacred burial grounds, getting rid of those, well, that's okay. That's white privilege and white supremacy in action. Those are some of the best examples that you can have. You know, and I saw a lot of poignant points being made, and I posted some on my wall. Um, you know, another one was these white supremacists were able to go to Seville and demonstrate and, and, and act a fool, and they all went home unscathed, unhurt, accounted for with the exception of the white supremacist James Fields. 
and even his situation is a little clouded, and I'll get to that. But the fact that they all went home and were accounted for, again, that's that white privilege. You want examples of white privilege? There, right there. You know, you're seeing it. And so what's interesting is, you know, um, there are a lot of different think pieces that are out, and not only the ones that were released in the past week and a half, week and a half since Seville, but even some, you know, directly after, you know, Donald Trump was elected and many, many more before then. And so, you know, we'll get to this, but, you know, I want people to realize and need you to come to terms with the fact that Bannon, you know, doesn't, you know, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. Trump isn't going to change because Bannon is gone. And you still have Steve Miller in that house, you know, in the White House. You have Gorka there. You still, and Steve Bannon is still in communication with Donald Trump. Don't think that they changed the number or blocked him. That's not how that works. You know, Corey Lewandowski, you have David Duke, and a number of other people. You know, at one point in time, Donald Trump denounced David Duke as a racist and a bigot. And then all of a sudden he wanted to act like he didn't know who David Duke was and what he stood for. He was playing coy. And so this is what I'm saying. These people play dumb. They are not stupid. And that's not only with Donald Trump and Bannon. I'm talking about, you know, there are a lot of white people out here that will play that role and knowing good and damn well that you know better. And, you know, what's so angering about it is that, you know, when you start calling some of these white people out on this, they want to call you racist because they feel that racism will go away if we don't talk about it. And it all boils down to, you know, they don't want to be uncomfortable. And talking about these things are extremely uncomfortable, but this nation is not going to be able to move forward until we have that national dialogue. And for those who are out here trying to point the finger at President Obama and Black Lives Matter, you're on some shit there because these problems were in existence before um, Barack Obama was elected president. And, you know, it's interesting because, like I said, some of the people that I talked with before, you know, Obama was elected, they were stating that this racism would go away with his election, and I told them it was going to get worse. And so, and I was right. And so it's, it's the whole thing. So you got these people out here talking about Donald Trump and, you know, how they feel that he has lost his moral authority because of his, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to be a little nice, but you can't be nice with racists and white supremacists, right? So you have people out here who are saying that, you know, Donald Trump lost his moral authority because of his stance on this particular, um, you know, situation that we had in Seville. But the thing is, is that Donald Trump never had the moral authority. And he doesn't, you know, he never had a moral compass to be reset. You can only reset a person's moral compass if they have one. He's never had one to begin with. And so, you know, this guy has absolutely no principles. He stands for nothing. The only thing he stands for is himself. And he has made that clear from day one. I mean, Donald Trump has been at war with America and the, the mainstream press for 30 years. 
And I don't know why you all have not paid attention. I know we, we were posting things, we were talking about this, and people were like, oh, he's not really going to do that. He told you who he was. He told you who and what he was. And, you know, and, and what's interesting is, you know, I'm seeing all of this criticism for the politicians and the leaders who have not denounced him or who have declined to directly denounce him. And I'm looking at the people, and I'm like, why were you expecting something like that to happen? Why were you expecting something different from these people? Because in many situations, a lot of these people, they will be silent, and they will turn their eyes away from a situation in a person in, 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 in a situation if it's going to further their cause if it's going to benefit them in some kind of way. And this is what you, what you see happening with the Republicans. You know, and, and, and it's interesting because, you know, there was this article out, and it was talking about when principal leaders ignore principles, you know, about this is what you get when principal leaders ignore principles. Look that up. And the thing is, is that a lot of these so-called principal leaders, you know, many of them didn't have principles to begin with, but some of them did. And But the thing is, is that, again, a lot of these people are opportunists, and it's about furthering their cause and furthering their message. And so, you know, this is what they're doing. This is what you get. And many of these same people have supported his policies and the laws, and, you know, that, that Donald Trump has put in place. Well, he hasn't put any laws in place yet, but a lot of the policies that are being reversed and that are being changed, and that's why I'm telling you guys, you need to pay attention to what Jeff Sessions is doing over in the Department of Justice, as well as these other departments and what's happening, and especially the State Department. You need to pay attention because there are a lot of changes and reversals being done, being made, while you all are sitting here watching, you know, the Donald Trump show. And he's doing this deliberately. You know, chaos and mayhem are two of the cornerstones for his particular foundation. You know, white supremacy and selfishness are the other two. You know, or self or opportunist. You know, it could be a number of things for that fourth cornerstone. But, you know, you need to pay attention. And what's interesting is that these white supremacists and their particular movement you know, they say that they're winning, right? And so all of this press, whether it's positive or negative, but especially if it's negative, they see that as a win. And I need for you guys to understand and to pay attention that they feel like they are winning this fight. And to a certain degree, they are. And one of the reasons why they are winning this fight is because they are out-organizing the rest of us. See, it doesn't have to be a lot of fucking people to show up if that small group of people that you sh that show up, if they're organized. You understand? And so I need for people to, you know, really pay attention to these things. You know, you, you know we cannot afford to ignore these white supremacists. We cannot afford to give them a pass and to be silent on this shit, right? And so, um, you know, some of the things that I heard and I was not able to confirm, 
And, you know, and then also I just haven't had time this week to really do a lot of the research into some of the scuttlebutt that's come my way. But I heard that in Seville that there was a drive-by shooting in, you know, one of the predominantly black communities. And it was a van that had KKK written across it. Now, I haven't had a chance to read, you know, to research that. It could be an urban myth. I don't know. Just at this point, none of this shit would, would surprise me. And then also another thing that I heard that I have not been able to confirm, but apparently there were caches of weapons and ammunition stored around just in case, you know, a damn civil war broke out. I don't know. And I need to do the research on my end, but you know these are this these, you know those are just a couple of the things that I've heard, you know, in the background. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it's my responsibility to go out and research and to find it. So that's what one of the things that I'm going to do this week, you know, um, is is try to find out more information, try to reach out to some people that are in those areas to find out what the hell was going on down there, you know, and in regards to the white supremacist murderer, James Fields. And James Fields is, you know, the little white supremacist that drove his car into the crowd and killed Heather Heyer. And see, what I need for you guys to understand is that in a number of cities and states, they have passed ordinances and laws stating that motorists can hit protesters and not worry about doing jail time. You need to go and look that up. So, you know, now I'm wondering if James Fields will be convicted because, you know, interestingly enough, the white supremacist that I spoke about earlier who was big and bad until he found out folks were looking for him, then he was crying. He, in that particular documentary, he was talking about the protesters being stupid and not moving out of the way when they saw him coming at them with his car, and that James Fields, the white supremacist murderer, that he was scared, and he did the only thing he knew how to do when he couldn't get out of the situation, so he ran them down with his car. This is some of the shit that I'm hearing. And and the thing is, is that, you know, I don't know if they're going to charge him with a hate crime or, you know, I'm still waiting for that, trying to figure out, you know, eventually what are they going to charge him with, if anything. And so, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, I'm hearing all of these different theories, you know, reading these different think pieces, seeing all this stupid shit that people are saying. And, you know, I have not unfriended a bunch of folks on Facebook and, you know, blocked them on Twitter. That's for a reason. Because even though I don't necessarily agree with their particular viewpoint, in order for me to build and construct a solid rebuttal or argument to what they're stating is I have to know what they're thinking. I have to know what they're talking about. It's not a matter of you know, picking fights. It's not a matter of um, excusing them or anything like that. You know, in order for you to effectively counter an argument, you need to understand what those people believe and what they stand on and how they're thinking. Otherwise, you know, again, you're just in the echo chamber. And, you know, the confirmation biases, that's not going to help you. And it's definitely not going to help you grow. 
and we should be learning and growing from these situations. And as I stated last week, you know, this time it has to be different. The outcome has to be different, which is why, you know, why we all have to come together. Black, brown, red, yellow, white, that's the only way we're going to be able to affect a real change across the board. And that real change is not necessarily just relegated to taking down these statues and monuments. It's more than that. Taking down the conservative, I mean, the Confederate flag is more than just the flag, the statues, and the monuments. You know, as I stated last week, it's about policies and law. It's about the systemic and institutional racism. And this is why I implore, you know, the church, the white church and the black church, you should not allow these politicians and these opportunists into your pulpit until they can get up there and tell you the policies that they're trying to reverse and they're trying to change or they're trying to implement that will be fair across the board, that will unshackle black, brown, red, and yellow people, and also, you know, unshackle poor whites to a certain degree, right? And so, you know, we have to do better. We have to organize. We have to make these demands. You know, you can't sit there and let them make you all of these promises, and then when they break the promises, you do nothing. And unfortunately, in this country, a lot of us have become so accustomed to having these people lie to us that we just kind of assume that they're always lying until someone like Donald Trump comes along and he's really doing the shit he said he would do. Now you want to ask the price. My thing is vote their asses out. We need to implement a law that, you know, if you're a senator or a rep, you know, one term, you don't get a part of your salary and, and, and all of the benefits for the rest of your life. No, motherfucker, go out and get a job like the rest of us. And I want them to drug and, and alcohol test your ass too, okay? Since you want to do that to people who are unemployed, you want to do that to people that are receiving disability, you want to do that to people who are receiving Lincoln Public Aid, no, fuck you. Because in most cases, you're the ones that are out here using illegal drugs, engaging in behavior, you know, that's, you know, unethical and immoral, depending on how you look at these things. Because who gets to define morality? Because morality is going to be defined differently by each person. So, you know, again, you know, going back to that moral authority, and that's one of the, you know, biggest arguments that I see between secularists and theists as to who defines morality, where did morality come from, and what exactly is or isn't moral. And so I'm not going to get into that particular part of the conversation because that's not what I had um, in mind for the show today, but, um, you know, we need to start demanding better, you know, period. And we also need to start educating some of these young people and even some of the middle age and older people. We need to get them out there. We need to run them for office because the only way we're really going to impact and affect change across the board is we got to take the power and the money. And so what's interesting is you have a lot of people out here who want us to ignore the white supremacists, 
and to allow them to speak and allow them to march unabated and unprotested. But what you don't understand is that if we allow that to happen, it gives them legitimacy and it gives them more power, and it serves as a recruiting tool for them. You know, you all always say all of this shit about the Muslims and, you know, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, you know, and all of that. And what's interesting is a lot of people won't accept the fact that we train these folks. At one point in time, they were on our side, and we gave them the weapons and the money and the training, and then we got mad at them and started supporting the other side. And in some cases, we're supporting both sides. So, you know, let's not play stupid. You know, I need for you guys to go out and you need to to, to read this, but this must be addressed, and it has to be confronted. And this is where the dialogue comes in. White people, this is your job. You benefit from the white supremacy. You benefit from the white privilege. We can't allow this to be normalized. And not confronting it and ignoring it will give it the opportunity to be normalized. This is why you see us, you know, protesting about shows that are going to be coming on, talking about how, you know, what would have happened if slavery was never abolished and a number of other problematic, you know, shows and movies that are out there. We have to protest against this. We cannot allow this to be normalized, and we cannot give them legitimacy and more power. We just can't do it. And so what's so interesting is the ACLU is secular organization. For those of you who didn't know that, you know, um, you know, Doctors Beyond Borders or with Doctors Without Borders or whatever the name of that thing is, you know, that's a secular organization as well. There are a number of them out there. And the ACLU initially was fighting for the white supremacists saying that they have freedom of speech. And they've kind of toned down that. They're kind of walking some of that back. You know, go and do some research on that. Go and do some research on that. As a matter of fact, you know, like I said, this year is different. And in October, I'm going to be making some real serious changes with the format of this show and some other things that I want to implement. And, you know, um, you know, I'm back in school now. And so, you know, I'm writing a thesis and, you know, I was talking with uh, my advisor this week, and there are some things that I need to do. So shit is about to change around here with me and some of the things I'm doing in the background, and and you're going to see a lot more coming, you know, from me. And so I'm just telling you, you know, to brace yourself. It's not going to be anything negative per se. Well, not negative as far as I'm concerned. You know, there will always be people out here trying to dissuade me and detractors, but it's okay. But look up, you know, the ACLU and how they've kind of backtracked on their defense of the white supremacists. And so what I see on social media, you know, what I've been seeing lately is people putting up that damn meme of Hillary Clinton talking about she tried to warn you. Well, Hillary Clinton is part of the problem too. Hillary Clinton, I mean, it's like this. They're both white supremacists, Trump and Clinton. It's just one is just upfront about it and the other one is just sneaky about the shit. You know, and one other thing that I'm saying is, you know, that damn Tina Fey and that fucking cake, right? 
you know, emotional eating is not the answer. You know, ignoring white supremacists and talking into a cake is not the answer. And you have too many liberals and too many, you know, progressives, too many white people out here telling us that we should utilize that particular um, um, methodology. You know, the silent treatment, just ignore it. No, we can't ignore We can't afford to ignore it. We don't have the privilege to ignore that shit, you know. And, and a lot of this is because a lot of these liberals and progressives, these white people, they don't want to deal with this shit, and they don't want to engage the white supremacists. But you're going to have to engage. You know, they want to remain in their bubbles. They want to remain comfortable. They don't want their comfort zone you know, disturbed. We can't allow that to happen. So for those of you out there with these white allies or the so-called white allies that are up there, we need, we're going to be putting more pressure on you. We have no choice. We have no choice. And you should understand why. You know, I will tell you there was um, an article written last year right after the election, right, and this was written by an ally talking about, you know, Donald Trump and the election and white privilege. And, you know, the person that wrote this is Stephanie Varnon Hughes. So Stephanie Varnon, V-A-R-N-O-N-Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S. And the name of her article is My Polite Privilege is Racism. Again, the name of the article is My Polite Privilege is Racism, right? And this was written November 15th of last year. And so she says in her silence, those around her feel safe in their racism and misogyny. And her first sentence in this article, she said, I am worse than the KKK. In My Polite Privilege, I am a stumbling block. I am, I am an obstacle to the work of dismantling white supremacy. In my silence, those around me feel safe in their racism and misogyny. In my comfort, I am complicit. And then she went to list some of the examples of what she meant. And she says a family member explains that being poor and white is worse than being black and middle class because she suffered too and wasn't given any special opportunities. Um, a family member complains that he can't get promoted because he's white. Mexicans and blacks have it better at his job. You know, a family, a family member reports, who self-reports that he's working on a racial justice forum at his church and mentions asking a member of the choir if he can touch her black hair. You know, um, a family member, you know, talks about their child's friends being black or Hispanic but never says anything or never, you know, mentions that some of his friends are white. So these are different things. You know, a family member asks if I know or they can get a special dial, an ethnic guard, to help his daughter learn about other cultures. And so it is many, many more examples. Well, here, a classmate wonders why minority groups need to have their own support groups. Isn't that just adding to divisiveness? You know, and, you know, there are many, many more examples, and I've lived through some of this. You know, but go and take a look at that article, My Polite Privilege is Racism. You know, she gives quite a few examples. But 
I've lived through a lot of this stuff, you know, and it's not past tense. People still say stupid shit. I had a white person tell me that it's because of white people that black people are no longer in slavery. However, if they decided that they wanted to put us back in slavery, that they could. Now, this is some of the shit that is, that have, that's been said to me personally, you know, and um, even in the classroom, one of the examples from this article, she said white classmates frequently turn to classmates of color to educate them on issues of race and cultural history. You know, and, and it's so funny because she's talking about the safety pins. You read that article, but this is some of the shit that we have to deal with. And, you know, you have white people out here who really believe that they do not have white privilege. And so what's so interesting, one of the um, status updates that I saw on Facebook is from Arami Osai Frimpong. I know I'm killing your name, darling. I'm so sorry. But, um, you know, he works along with Yvette Carnell. So he did this status update. And so it says here, King, Martin Luther King, stated, we must recognize that we can't solve our problems now until there is a radical redistribution of economic and political power. And white liberals go, oof, well, I don't know. Tina Fey says, she cake. White liberals, yes, queen, right? And so um, he went on to say, you can say that Faye is just doing satire, but there have been a lot more people talking about she cake than reparations. So as far as I'm concerned, Faye is liberal propaganda that distracts from the problem. And then he edited it and, and said, you can say that she was mocking white liberals in the bit, but she didn't do it in a way that pointed to an answer. For example, she could have said, while I know that King said that the only thing that would address racism is radical redistribution of economic and political power, but then I saw this cake. Now, that would have been mocking white liberals, but what she was doing was letting them off the hook. And I agree with her. So I thank him for putting that out there and, you know, I want to let him know that I used it on the show. Probably means I'm going to send him a note, probably. But, um, you know, this is very real. And this is, you know, part of the problem that, you know, more and more white people are going to have to stand up and they're going to have to say something and they're going to have to address these particular issues, Right. And so, um, you know, there's a lot more to talk about, but I see that I have a caller. So we're going to pick up this caller, 314. You are on the line. May we ask your name and what is your comment or question? Oh, and I think it's still pulling up the call. There you go. Hi, may we ask talk to free thinkers. It's, this is Pianchi. I haven't talked to a free thinker in a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. You know, I had um, some personal tragedies and needed to take some time off, so I went into a little sabbatical so I can kind of pull my head together. You know how that goes. That's life, right? Well, yeah, life is full of a lot of challenges, and some good, some bad, and some right down the middle. That's right. I want to make a comment on this thing that they call white supremacy. Sure. 
And people like to quote the definition that's in dictionaries. Mm-hmm. But see, what you have is parallel definition, parallel meanings of what white supremacy. Same thing is with with the word Jew. You know, there's Judah religion, then there's Judah club. Right. And more, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, more often people is concentrated on Judah religion. And the same thing right. with white supremacy, where they think that whites believe that they're better than everybody else and so on, so on, so on. Well, that used to be, you know, somebody told me Jack Johnson way back in the early 1900s disproved that. And of course, you look at athletes and so on, so on, even in academics in many areas. Well, especially when you look at Nigerians compared to whites right. and Asians. But white supremacy is when you're talking about offshore oil well drilling, equity financing, leverage buyouts, right. mm-hmm. when you're talking about boycotts and sanctions, that's white supremacy. See, when you look at the controllers of food, when you agriculture, manufacturing, production, transportation, finance, th- the face of that is usually white. Now, believe it or not, they are losing their primacy in the world because you can't sit on those secrets like you used to because of the advent of technology, innovation, and also a whole lot of competition is coming out of the Asian world. Exactly. If you hate hate white supremacy, you got to compete against it. Exactly. You got to compete against that's, that's part of it. You got to go head to head with them on issues. And more times than not, they will leave your domains alone. In other words, they will leave them. They leave out of the inner cities. But the thing is, that void is usually filled by somebody else. And presently, we see it being filled by these Asians and Arabs. I mean, these people are running amok. They opening up these little joints, these little businesses, and they ain't really little business. They building their own business, selling chicken, putting churches out of business because they can't compete. That's what's happening. And nobody okay. should be able to come into your economic market and run wild like that because you can't go into theirs. And I'm not talking about you in particular, but I'm just using the word you. Right, right, right. And see, you know, what's that there? Okay, so when I talk about white supremacy, I'm coming from the point of view of institutional and systemic. You know, I'm not coming, and what's so interesting, and I talked about this on the show last week, is when people talk about white supremacy, unfortunately, you have people out here that will basically reduce it to a matter of feelings, you know, about Fear and, 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 and that. And that is not my particular definition of white supremacy. Now, you know, when you were talking about competing with these white people, you know, when I talk about white supremacy, capitalism or racialized capitalism is, is part of the problem. And, you know, and what I want, to don't, I want to make sure that we don't get confused on is when we talk about, you know, these other cultures, whether they're black, brown, yellow, coming into black communities and opening up businesses, 
And, you know, I want to make sure that we understand some of the anti-blackness that is used in some of those arguments because when you have Asian and Latino people coming into black communities and opening businesses, unfortunately you have a lot of whites who will turn around and use, you know, and be anti-black and use blackness as the measuring stick saying, why can't you be like these Asians? Why can't you be like these Latinos? And what's interesting about that is I've been seeing a lot of pushback, especially in the past five years, from Asians who dispel that myth of being a model minority. And so when I talk about these things, I come from the mindset of of basically trying to um, explain white supremacy while also dismantling and deconstructing the myth of black inferiority, the myth of black criminality, and, and not allowing more anti-blackness to be perpetuated when they use black people as the measuring stick, telling these other cultures that you don't want to be like those people over there. Well, you know, let me say on black inferiority. Blacks are not inferior. Blacks have all the mean, all the talents and skills within their society exactly. that they need to turn their conditions around. The thing is, is that a lot are not exposed to these opportunities, these out-of-the-box. A lot of them aren't right. uh, introduced to these. Now, that is changing. I must admit that because I'm starting to, you know, it's just like if you walking through the desert and all of a sudden you see lights and you see a building, then you hear music and you go in there, oh, below us, a bunch of, it's a room full of blacks and a black proprietor. Well, they wasn't here when I came through here five years, but they're here now. So that is changing. Is it changing mm-hmm. fast enough? It's not changing as fast as those in the know would like to see it change, but it is changing. And it will continue changing. I run into African-Americans that has shipping lines, that's shipping containers across the ocean. Now, who in the heck would ever expect that blacks would own businesses like that? But they do. The components are there. You just take people with foresight. And there's not a lot of people. You know that because your group wasn't no tremendous stadium full of people. You just take people (laughs) with an idea and an agenda and make it work. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. I see more black women stepping out there. I really do. We have do. no choice. We have no choice. Yeah. You got your back against the wall. nobody is protecting black women. Nobody is you protecting can. black women. Nobody is advocating for black women besides other black women. And, you know, it, I mean, when you have different polls coming out saying that the net worth of a black woman is a dollar and another one saying a hundred dollars, and, and when you go back and you look at history, which is why works by, like, Brittany Cooper, Dr. Brittany Cooper, you all go out and, and, and get her book because she's talking about black women and, you know, respectability politics in America. And you have a lot of black women who have, have done dynamic work, you know, have been profound, and their words are being echoed and, 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 and spoken by a number of people. But this is the thing. These same black women, in many cases, died broke and destitute. But the white people, the white men and white women, you know, are capitalizing off of their words, their ideas, you know, off of their pain. 
which is one of the reasons why, you know, it's, it's interesting. And sometimes, you know, I piss folks off, but I, you know what, I stop caring. But when I hear people, especially white people, talking about intersectionality while stealing the words and the works of black and brown and Asian women, um, you know, it angers me because, again, they've taken that particular concept and they whitewashed it. And what they want to say, especially with this Women's March earlier this year, in which there were many facets that were problematic, but I somewhat supported it because there were a lot of black organizers or organizers of color that I wanted to support, and they worked to work out some of those issues, even though they're still problematic to a certain degree. But, you know, I'm saying all of that to say this, is that when you have a lot of these white people taking those works and words of, of, of black women, they, they reduce it down to, you're black, I'm white, but we're still sisters or brothers or however you want to put this, and, and you know, and that's the only problem. No, that's not the only problem because when they do that, what they do is they factor out the oppression, the pain, the suffering, the humiliation, the harassment, and a number of other things that those women of color had to endure then and that we're enduring now and that future generations will endure if we do not organize and put this shit to an end and start working on that. So, I mean, it's it's just so much happening. But I'm like you, you know, with the advent of the technology and the innovation, you are seeing more people of color, particularly black people, entering different, you know, realms of business and society that normally we had been shut out of, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, I want to make sure that, you know, it's understood that, you know, with black black capitalism is not going to save us especially if it's built on the model that has oppressed people of color, you know, since the inception of this country. So there are some changes that need to be made. And so that's why I talk about systemic and institutional, because we're going to have to go all the way down to the policies and the law. And, and, and again, with the, you know, with the reparations and, and putting people in politics and putting people in place and, and, and building up our own communities. That is the only way we're going to really impact any change, not only in this country but around the world, because I like to stress and tell people that, you know, Africans, you know, as well as other people, other, you know, um, communities of color around the world, they look to us. They look to us. To, to get out here and to make changes. You know, they see us as, and where well, they used to see us as, you know, pillars of change. As, yeah, they you know, used to. Abolition. <laughs> right. You know, I'm going to tell you something. The next, yes, uh, the next superpower that's going to come upon the scene is going to be Nigeria. Now, we may not be around when this happens. I know we won't because at the end of this century, or close thereof, they will become the second largest population on the planet. And that means lots of shoes, socks, toothbrushes, houses, mixers, air conditions. They're going to be a have the potential to have a economic power. And black Americans need to participate in that. 
They really do. Now, it's not easy to do those things. You have to have a base. And there's nothing wrong with having a base here in the United States. But venture out. You know, I've been on the African continent a whole, whole lot. And I can come into a remote area, and lo and behold, there's a little Chinese lady got a shop open. Nobody but her. Where did she get mm-hmm. that courage? Black women, black men, you're going to have to start looking out of the box and start getting involved in these right. things. So I'm going to let you get back to your show. I'm happy to see you still around. Yes, indeedy, Bob. And it's always good to hear from you, Pianchi. You know, I'm still here. It's just, you know, life happens and sometimes you just got to take a break, you know. And um, mm-hmm. But you never know. You know what? I have nothing really to complain about. I'm at a really good place in my life. And even though I've lost some people, you know, you know, especially, you know, I lost my grandmother and my sister died earlier this year and I had a couple of people almost die. And it mm-hmm. just makes me appreciate them, you know, just people, my family, my friends, you know, the people that listen to it. It makes me appreciate all of you, you know, even more. But it also motivates me to go out and to do bigger and better things. And so, you know, what you were just talking about, I agree with you. And so I want to encourage people at home, You, we have companies out here, black companies that make toilet paper. We have black companies out here that are making toothpaste and toothbrushes. You have black companies out here doing a lot of these things. And while some of you all, you know, may or may not, you know, um, know about these things, I think that it will be to your benefit to go out and to look this up. I mean, even with the movement for Black Lives, Black Lives Matter, they have a database of black businesses around the world. So if you're someone that has a black business or you know someone else, if they're not in that database, I would encourage you to reach out. For those of you who didn't know anything about that, go and take a look. You know, it's like, you know, help them to build that database. Help us to help ourselves. And for those of you that have a dream, don't let these dream killers, you know, kill your dream. Do it. You can find someone that has some of the same interests. Someone else may have a company, you know, like like I said, with the black toilet paper. But maybe you have, you know, a different type of idea, but it's toilet paper. Maybe you can go and pitch to them and possibly bring your idea to the table for a percentage of the business. There are a number of ways that you can leverage that, you know, and hedge your Absolutely. so that it will benefit. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, I agree with you 100% on that. Okay, well, yeah, and and, and just even have the com- change the conversation. Stop talking about, well, let's see, you go to show you how much I know. I guess it's basketball-wise and empire, I guess. Stop talking so much about oh. that and start talking about the these things that uh, like what you just got through saying in your circles. Exactly. No, you're right. It is so funny because I'll be let's say I'll be on Twitter and I'll see them talking about something and I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I'm on Google looking it up, you know, trying to figure out which celebrity pulled this crazy stunt and then I'll talk to a friend and they'll be like, Oh, well they're talking about you know, this show over here. And I'm like, yeah, you know, 
<laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. like, that's why I couldn't understand because, I mean, I don't watch that stuff, and I'm not putting down anyone who, who does. But when I was about 19 years of age, that's when I figured out that, you know, watching the music videos and some of this other stuff, in my opinion, it rots your brain. You know, it does. Because, yeah. And so that's the reason why, you know, I have cable, and, you know, what's funny about it was my cable was supposed to go off on the 13th or 14th of this month, but then Seville happened. So needless to say, I decided to keep my cable so that I wouldn't miss things like this. But, you know, the TV watches me. I don't watch it, you know, but when I do, I'm a news junkie, so I'm always watching the news and documentaries. But, you know, there are a couple of shows that I like, but, you know, it's, it's you know, I guess. I don't watch, I don't watch news. Time. I don't watch news. There ain't too much that I haven't. You know, I figured out some time ago <clears throat> how this is working. And it's just like anything else. You will learn it. Because you have right. to put the bits and pieces together, the old cliche, follow the dollars. You know, you see these people right. pulling up at these protests and buses and so on. Why do they get all this money? Don't they work? I mean, flying in? No, follow the dollars. Then you begin <laughs> to understand how this stuff works. So uh, anyway, I'm going to let you get back to your program. i got to do some running, too, but uh, it's a, it's know, a pleasure. Right. Well, Piaz, it's always a pleasure. You know, call in, and, and I appreciate you and everything that you bring to the show. Even when we clash, I still appreciate it. I want you to know that. I understand. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, you take care. Bye-bye. All right, y'all. You know, um, it's just, it's a true, but it's a lot that needs to be discussed, you know, and, um, you know, I'm going to go back to what happened this weekend, you know, when he was talking about the news and he was talking about people, you know, coming in on buses and flying all of, you know, a lot of this is well-funded and you've always heard me say, follow the money. Where is the money coming from, you know, and, and, you know, what took place in Seville, that was well-funded. And like I said last week, who gave them the money? You know, so you, you need to pay attention to all of this. And, you know, and, and some of this shit is staged. Now, before you conspiracy theorists call my show, when I say staged, I'm not talking about false flags or it was fake or anything like that. What I'm saying is that it was planned, you know, at least on one side. You know, with the Seville, that was a stage, that was a planned race riot, period. So let me clear that up because I don't need y'all out here saying, oh, see, Kim from Black Freethinker said, I didn't say that shit. And how you comprehend and translate what I say on this show is not my business. It's yours. And I'm going and you better hope it doesn't get back to me because I'm gonna say the same thing. But um, you know, what was so um interesting about what happened in Boston, because like I said, Boston had the largest counter protests um in the country this weekend. And so initially we thought it was fifteen, twenty thousand people, but the latest reports is that it was about 40,000 protesters versus, you know, less than 100 white supremacists. 
you know, because a lot of people pulled out of that little, you know, free speech rally thing they were trying to put together in Boston. And what was so surprising is Boston is one of the most racist cities in this country, you know, and it's also terribly expensive to live in. I've turned down jobs in Boston because I'd have been poor. Wouldn't have been able to afford to live there, you know. And so, um, you know, seeing all of these people show up, you know, to that, to counter protest, that shows us that we have the power when we work together. And so, you know, one of my issues and arguments of what happened, with, especially in, you know, in Charlottesville, is initially, you know, people, the mass, you know, the mainstream media, they were, you know, kind of ignoring it but not giving it any credence. And to me, the only reason why it received any type of credence and 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 um, and support, and when I say support, I'm talking about mainstream, you know, media reporting about it. Is the reason why that happened was because the Nazis showed up. But if it was just white supremacists against black and brown people, red and yellow folks, you know, that's boys will be boys, and uh, you know, they they don't mean them any harm, and no, they just you know just ignore them. But then a Nazi showed up, and then it made the news. So of course you can see why you have you know some people of color over here looking at this and. Uh, <laughs> being cynical to a certain degree in our own way. And so what was interesting about Boston is, you know, there were a lot of different groups that represented, you know, as part of the counter-protesters. But, you know, I saw a lot of white folks out there. And this is extremely important. Now, I always talk about how white people have to be the ones to deconstruct and dismantle racism, white supremacy, white privilege, all of that. They they have to be the ones because they're the ones that created it and they're the ones that benefit from it. And the system was designed and built so that it would not fail. But when you have these white supremacists, you know, the Nazis, all these folks showing up, they need to see their fucking reflections at these rallies. If they see black and brown people, well, they have no respect and no regard for our lives, so beating them up and killing them is of no consequence to them, you know, because it's already been proven. We can have video of, you know, a white person killing a black person, and, you know, there was a study. I posted it on my wall, and it's on Twitter and all of that. Go and look for it. But it talks about how when white people kill blacks, how it's deemed as justifiable in most cases as compared to whites killing blacks. You know, so there were some polls taken about that. But these white supremacists and Nazis should see their reflections at these rallies and these marches. So when they come out, and again, if they see black and brown people, they don't care. You know, they see us as animals and subhuman anyway. But when they see other white people, they have to think about it. They have to really stop and think about it. And I'm not saying that they won't attack and fight other white people. Yes, they will. That's been shown. But they're going to think twice, and there's going to be a little bit of hesitation there. 
And this is one of the reasons why we need to see more white people at these rallies and these marches. And, you know, and I've been talking about that for several years, and I need for it to get through. And for those of you, you know, that listen to this show and you take these talking points, if you get nothing else from this show today, you need to, you need to tell people that, that we need more white people at these rallies and these marches and on the front line because, see, these racists and the white supremacists and Nazis need to see themselves. and these, See, they can't relate to us but they can relate to other white people. And so, you know, um, you know, you just, we need to look at this because, you know, otherwise a lot of this would have been taken as, oh, business as usual, business as normal, no big deal, you know, but then the Nazis showed up and then it became an even bigger thing or it became a thing in, in, in certain respects. And so, again, tearing down the statues, that's not, none of that shit is going to stop white supremacy. It's not going to stop hatred. It's not going to stop racism. It's not. And so, again, policies and laws, you know, power, money, those are the things that we need to talk about. And, yes, the statues and monuments, they need to go because it is a reminder of hate. You know, I mean, we don't have statues of Hitler around. They don't have statues of Hitler in Germany either. So why would you have statues? And what's so interesting is they wanted to build a slavery museum in Florida, but one of the, you know, one of the politicians stopped it because he says we shouldn't basically have, you know, museums talking about that horrible, you know, time in our country or, you know, about something that's just so painful or something that's negative, you know. But yet you have these monuments and statues of people that, you know, railed and rallied against, you know, the government. You know, they wanted to tear the country apart. And what's interesting about all of that is I put an article on my wall from NPR, and it was talking about how Robert E. Lee didn't even want Confederate statues and monuments going up. And so, you know, that rally, that white supremacist rally in Seville had nothing to do with that damn statue, nothing at all. And unfortunately, you know, Donald Trump is out here reinforcing that behavior. What you all need to understand is just by Donald Trump being in the White House, that is signaling to the white supremacists that, you know, that their time has come because he is one of them. You know, he supports a lot of what they have to say and a lot of their, you know, perspectives and viewpoints. And we need to understand that. And so, you know, we have to look at pictures, if you will, and stop passing them down Hillary videos and memes around about she warned us. Black and brown people have been warning you a long time about Donald Trump. Okay? So it's just interesting how you don't believe us, but when a white person says it, then you believe it. And that's just not white people that do that. You know, and so, um, you know, I just sit back and I just look at this shit, you know, and, you know, I have to take ownership in the fact that I didn't think it was enough white people that were going to vote specifically for Trump and put him over the top. I was wrong. 
And I'll admit it, you know, and again, go back and read some of the post-mortem reports um, about the election, you know, because it's eye-opening. And it was a miscalculation on my behalf. Now, I knew he was going to win, didn't know exactly how, but I knew he was going to win. And so, you know, I learned a lot from that particular situation. And so, you know, um, now you have the Democrats trying to win back those particular white voters. How are they going to do that? The narrative that's being put forth by the Democrats, because they're focused on winning back the white Democrats that voted for Donald Trump. And they voted for Donald Trump because of their pocketbooks, because he promised jobs. And, you know, you have Donald Trump and his sycophants out here saying that he created a million jobs. No, he didn't. All of this that you're seeing is basically the end, the, you know, the ending cycle of Barack Obama. Trump's numbers really won't come out until September, October. That's when we will see growth or decline. From him, and you know, you have people saying that the stock market is up because of Donald Trump. That's not necessarily true. You know, the stock market was going up and it was growing under the Obama administration. As a matter of fact, it did damn well under the Obama administration. Go back and read, learn some history, pay attention, you know, and so. We need to pay attention to the central thing that the Democrats are putting out there. So for those of you that are listening, I'm not a Democrat, former Republican. I consider myself an independent. I am not a liberal. I am not a progressive. I am not a conservative. I am none of those things. And this is why you hear me railing against them in, in certain respects. There are some things that I agree with and some things that I do not. But um, the black and brown, red and yellow communities would be remiss if they allow the Democratic Party to continue overlooking them and to continue taking them for granted. And women, too. And, you know, and I would like to say white women, but 53% of you voted for Donald Trump. I don't know what the hell to say about you anymore. You know, and so... You know, I guess white women, too, you know, don't let the Democrats take you for granted, you know. And so what's interesting is the particular trope that's out here now or that Donald Trump was um, putting forth, especially in his, you know, white supremacist apologist talk on Tuesday, was about looking at both sides. Ironically, what happened in... Finland and Spain, but especially Spain, he immediately came out and denounced Muslims and, and you know, and terrorists and all of that when, you know, he had to take a couple of days, a few hours to think about what was happening in Seville and look at both sides of the story. Well, all the information ain't came in about Spain yet, but you've already denounced them. And so these are things that you all need to look at and to pay attention to. And I will admit, I used to be one of those people where we got to look at both sides, got to weigh the pros and the cons, and that was because I didn't like, you know, controversy. I didn't like being in the middle of a bunch of bullshit. 
you know, didn't like being caught up in controversial shit, caught up in confrontation. And but I can't do that anymore. I stopped doing that many years ago, but especially now, because you gotta do what's right and what's right is right. And so you gotta be careful with that. You know, I don't wanna take a side and you know, I feel like I'm caught in the middle. Well, the thing is that you're never not necessarily caught in the middle. Black people, you are not white. And they will never see you as white. And what's interesting is that you have some Africans and some people from mm-hmm. other countries on paper that are deemed white, but they're darker than me, you know, and so it's interesting. But I'm not going to get into that because you all don't want to hear me ranting on black people who have, you know, that white designation. You don't get all the white privilege. You get none of it, really. But, you know, you can't tell them that because in their mind they have decided that, you know, that, uh, huh. So anyway, I'm going to let that go before I start, you know, going off. And, oh, one other thing I want to go off on. Stop sending me fucking petitions to have these Confederate statues replaced with statues of celebrities, you know. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell your problem is, but you need to stop that shit because I will never, ever support an R. Kelly statue being put in place of um, of of anything or anybody else, so you know you need to kind of get that shit together. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been real interesting here. So yeah, guys, it's a lot going on. It's a lot we need you to pay attention to. I'm gonna post a number of articles in the next couple of days, but you know. Some of the articles, that, you know, especially the one I was talking about in which she was stating that she was part of the problem, you know, that's important. Go and look that up. I'll post it on my wall. I'll tweet it out. And I need to start posting to my other social media accounts. I just got tired. You know, it was a lot happening and all of that. But oh, we can't afford to just sit back and watch and wait. We can't do that. You can't afford to just be silent. You can't afford to just sit there and say, well, both sides were wrong. No. Those people came there looking for a fight. And what's so interesting is some of the, you know, pundits that I saw on television, there was one specific picture that showed a black guy with, you know, what looked like a blowtorch. And, you know, I've seen that particular picture being used as an example by some of the people on the news. What you all don't seem to understand, you need to go and read the articles about that because the young man gave an interview. The white supremacist threw a can of spray paint at him, and he took that can of spray paint and then turned it into a blowtorch to defend himself, to keep them away from him. So, you know, you need to go back and you need to to look that up. And, again, you know, today I was talking about white Christian America. You need to go and look up, you know, none of the people, the Christians and, you know, the church folks that were on, you know, one of the special counsels with Donald Trump resigned with the exception of one person, A.R. Bernard. Now, he stepped down. And what was so interesting is that I saw him on MSNBC 
And Mark Burns, you know, black pastor from New York. A.R. Bernard is from New York as well. He's a mega pastor, mega church pastor. And Mark Burns is from New York. And what Mark Burns was trying to do is basically tell A.R. Bernard that he should not have resigned. And the rationale he was using was just pure D bullshit. But see, this is the thing. That's the same type of psychology and rhetoric that they use in their pulpit to keep control of their people. Because one of the things you'll hear them say if they go from amongst us, you know, or out from amongst us, they were never one of us to begin with. You know, and so, you know, that's not what he said specifically, but that was what he was implying. And, and you know, you have, you know, I, I just don't understand it. You know, I saw Daryl Scott, the pastor from South Carolina, who lied and said that some of the gang-banging thugs from Chicago called him up saying that they, you know, respect Trump and want to, which was bullshit. He lied. And he was on, you know, MSNBC, you know, trying to say, well, it was both sides. And, you know, that the counter-protesters were violent as well. And I sent him a tweet. And I think we need to start tweeting at these people. I have to really start getting more serious about this because, I mean, you know, um, you know, I need to really get out of here and start doing more things. And, you know, he was saying both sides, and he was trying to use that saying, you know, fucked up as, you know, um, narrative, right? And don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. You know, what's interesting is Paula White, who's a white woman, who's the pastor of, um, you know, a megachurch, predominantly black and brown congregation, and she put out there that, you know, basically that white supremacy is a sin. But yet they're still supporting Donald Trump, and yet they are still capitalizing off of that relationship that they have with Donald Trump, and yet they still call themselves praying for him and telling their members to pray for Donald Trump and and imploring us to support Donald Trump and, and help him get through this and pray that, you know, he gains the, you know, the wisdom and the knowledge and the guidance needed in order to, you know, to make America great again or return this nation back to its, you know, you know, allegedly Christian beginning, which is not true. This country was not founded upon Christianity, and that's a whole different show itself. And so... um you got to start questioning these people. I'm going to post a couple of articles um, talking about what some of the these Christian evangelical pastors and leaders, you know, have said about what happened in Charlottesville, Seville. And, you know, I really want you guys to think about it. There's it's more articles out there. You know, please feel free to go and look it up yourself. As a matter of fact, I challenge you to do that. Go out there and look it up. Look it up. Read it for yourself. Share it with other folks so that they can see, you know, because, see, the thing is is that, you know, you have some people out here that want to say, oh, well, I didn't know. Yeah, you did. You know, you just wanted to, you, you want to ignore some shit. You don't want to be caught up. Uh, got a lot of folks out here playing ignorant and stupid. 
and that's including a lot of white folks when we talk about this racism, you know, and, and sexism and a number of other things. And what's so interesting about the white supremacists that were in Seville, how some of them are trying to distance themselves from the Nazis and some of the other white supremacists because they don't want that label. Now, you know, they're calling themselves Western chauvinists and, you know, shit like that. And Raina posted an article, and I need to post it on my wall, talking about how some of these MRAs, these men rights, men's rights activists, how some of that delved into this particular movement of white supremacists and and how this is kind of tied together in, in certain ways. And so I'm going to have to go and find it. I think I saved it or go back on her wall. For those of you that can see her Facebook wall that are friends with her, you can go over there and get it. But I'll post it, you know, either later on today or tomorrow. But you need to pay attention to what's happening. And so last week I was talking about um, the white supremacists and, and, and some of these black nationalists, how they're working together and how they formed some type of weird-ass alliance out here. And, again, it's based on supremacy, whether it's in white face or black face, capitalism, um, you know, patriarchy, and a number of other things. And you need to really go out and read and listen and get a better understanding of these things so that you'll know, you know, how it's all tied together. And especially those of you that are out here and want to tell me, well, you have blacks that voted for Donald Trump. You got blacks that are praying. Look, if your pastor is telling you to just pray about this situation with the white supremacists, pray about, you know, the problematic behavior and words coming from Trump and his administration, then your pastor, you know, he's playing you. You're going to have to engage. You're going to have to get involved. And so I was reading these articles, which is what prompted me to do this show today, talking about white Christians. And there were some articles out here that were pointing specifically to white Christians and telling them that this is your fault in regards to what happened in Seville and telling white Christians that they need to speak up and they need to denounce these people. And for those of you that have missed this, you need to go back and look at what happened with the Southern Baptists and how a fight broke out when the Southern Baptists were trying to determine whether or not they were going to denounce white supremacy and how some people broke away from, you know, the Southern Baptists because they decided to adopt fighting and, and denouncing white supremacy, you need to look that up. You need to look up the Johnson Amendment and what the Trump administration is trying to do by abolishing the Johnson Amendment and allowing these preachers to, to endorse candidates from the pulpit and also allow them to become political action committees in which they can funnel a lot of money into the church and then to the candidates. You need to pay attention to this, especially if you're in one of these megachurches, because what's happening, and we've talked about this, and I've talked about this on many occasions, that what happens, you know, we have this thing called wealth inequality. 
You got some people who who will say that that doesn't exist. They're lying to you. You know, these tea partiers, libertarians, and I consider the birthers as part of the tea partiers. And, um, you know, they're out there putting, you know, out these false narratives, these, these, these tropes, you know, that there is no such thing as wealth inequality. And it is. And, you know, the message behind a lot of what they're putting out there is very destructive. But if you compare the message that they're putting out there to the message of many of these mega pastors, these mega church pastors, it's the same thing. Because what they're doing is denouncing you for being poor and telling you that your poverty is your own fault, that you brought it on yourself and you did these things to yourself. You have some of these pastors telling you that you are struggling and you are poor because you didn't have enough faith or you didn't sow enough seeds or you didn't sow good seeds or enough into their ministry. When in, in, in all actuality, I think, you know, it's like it's a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about on this show because, you know, it's just it's, it's outrageous. And it upsets me and it pisses me off because I know how people are being hurt in these churches. And 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 it goes beyond just giving them your money. You know, opportunities are being lost. You know, I've had friends whose parents decided to not allow them to go to college or what have you or take certain opportunities and people that turn down jobs because their pastor said no or that God told him to say no. And that's not true. You know, many of these people are opportunists and, and you know, they're using you. You know, and so um, so you got the white church that's feeling a little convicted because you have folks out here pointing at them saying that this is your fault and you're not speaking up, you're not saying enough. And what's interesting is, is that you had a lot of people then and now pointing at the black church in regards to what was happening with, you know, the social justice, grassroots, and community movements that's taking place in this country, particularly Black Lives Matter, and pointing to the black church and saying you're not doing enough. And in both regards, the black church and the white church, you brought a lot of this on yourself by going out here and claiming that you are the moral authority. And in regards to the black church, you were the ones that ran out there and picked up Martin Luther King's mantle stating that the mandate for civil rights and the mandates for social justice came from the black church. And so when all of this happened and people started looking at the black church, now all of a sudden you're crying foul and saying that it's not fair. You did that to yourself. And if any of you go back and you do some research as to what happened during the civil rights movement, that was not a religious-based movement. You know, I like to say that it was a secular movement. I had someone correct me, and they said that the better way to put it was that it was a people's movement. I can do that. I can say that. It was a people's movement. However, the black church laid claim to that. And since you laid claim to that, with that 
particular claim comes a lot of responsibility and accountability, which you do not want in many cases. Now, there are a lot of churches out here that are out here doing a damn thing. I, I can't say nothing about them. They're feeding the community. You know, they've set up the offices to help people with their light and gas bill. The money comes from the federal government. You know, and, and many of them, you know, have started, like, little computer labs doing, you know, having classes, teaching people how to use office, teaching people how to use the Internet, how to put together a resume, all of that. And many of them do it for free. Some of them charge it, you know. In some cases, it's nominal. But then you got some of these churches setting up their so-called schools of business and, you know, you know, godly and biblical business and, you know, whatever, right? And so um, it's just been real interesting. But now you have the white church that's on the defense regarding, you know, what just happened in Seville and Charlottesville. And so, you know, now they are upset because, you know, people are, you know, their land is at their, you know, at their door, and they don't know what to do with it. However, quite a bit of this is your fault, white Christian America, and it's going to take you to go out there and to fix this. So interesting is a lot of people, a lot of white Christians that call themselves Christians, you're not. You're just fucking opportunists and using Christianity as a shield, as a front. Because if you were really Christians, you would have crushed this 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 religious right and this moral um, you know, moral majority. Those particular movements have been extremely dangerous and destructive. And, you know, again, a lot of people think that, you know, the moral majority and the Christian, you know, the religious right, they think it came from Roe v. Wade, and that's not true. This came from the fact that at um, Liberty University, you know, lost its 501c3, its nonprofit status, and pastors got mad, and it grew from there which is why I find it interesting when, you know, I see people talking about charter schools and, you know, um, school reforms and all of that. So anyway, I don't want to get caught up in all of that, but you, it would be to your benefit to look that up and to get a better understanding. But white Christians, you know, you have been out here – speaking allegedly for everybody in this country and how this is a Christian country and, and, you know, all this shit that's going on now. So now you got to own it. And now you're trying to cry foul and say that it's not fair. Well, if you're the moral compass, you know, you're the moral authority as far as you're concerned, then how can you not come out against white supremacy. I don't understand it. And, you know, you have people out here that will talk about how the Bible condones um, slavery and all of that, and it's in there. So I understand that. But, you know, at the same time, it doesn't mean that it was right. 
So you're really going to have to take a look in the mirror and figure out how you are complicit in this. And that's not only the white Christians, you know, talking about black Christians too, and, you know, these other people of faith, as well as secular folks, the atheists. I came down on their ass last week. I don't seen a couple of um, um, press releases denouncing white supremacy. You know, interestingly enough, you know, the culprits that I thought wouldn't say a damn word, I ain't seen shit yet. But, again, I'm not looking for it. And the other things were brought to my attention, you know, through other folks. But, um, yeah, you know, um, an example of that is that damn billboard. And, no, I ain't over it, and, no, I'm not going to stop talking about it, period. And so, you know, you had people sit down and have a dialogue and a discussion with folks in the Jewish and Muslim communities, but didn't give a shit about how the black community felt in regards to a billboard that said, slaves obey your masters or your slave masters or, you know, whatever the fuck it said. You know, it was a quote out the Bible. But after it came out and there was controversy, they went and called themselves talking to a couple of blacks in the community who said, oh, well, no, that was fine. They need to see that. You know, this needs to be put in their face and all of this shit. And, again, I point the finger at those same black people because, you know, you're the one paving the way, paving the path and emboldening and empowering these people to you know, coming to communities of colors, black communities, and create chaos, havoc, and mayhem. And a good example of it was in Charlottesville when these white supremacists started attacking the clergy. Now, I'm not saying that religious people should, you know, have special privileges and that they're innocent because a lot of them are on some straight-up bullshit, right? And we know this, and we've called it out. But a lot of these white supremacists have found a soft place to land in the atheist community. Some of these so-called atheist celebrities are out here, you know, tiptoeing around in the garden with these white supremacists in open. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. At first it was implied. Now they're just out there. How do you justify that? How do you cover for that? Someone needs to help me to understand. And so, you know, you have people out here, you know, talking about what happened. All of a sudden, the the Justice Department is launching a civil rights investigation. You know that's some bullshit. Look at what Sessions has been doing. And so let me tell you, tell you, if you're black, Jewish, undocumented, documented, that's Latino, Muslim, I think I said them, but we'll say it again, liberal, you know, journalists, you know, anything like that, you're in trouble. You need to keep your eye on Jeff Sessions and the Justice Department because it's working against us. And they are supporting Donald Trump, and they're supporting his racist thought. They are supporting his racist affiliates, his racist friends, his racist base. You know, they're supporting all of that. And you need to stop trying to fool yourself because our lives are in danger. This is real. This is real life. 
People are going to die. People have died. Heather Heyer should not be dead. And just the very thought that, you know, you know, him just being in office folded and empowered them. And if you don't fit into his little box of what he wants to do, then you are fucked and you are in trouble. How do we get here? And I'm not talking about intelligent design or evolution. And why are you so silent? And so we're going to go a little bit into overtime because, you know, I need to get this little part right here out probably about 10 minutes and I'll be done with this. And thank you for listening to the show, those of you that are out there. I appreciate you. But on MSNBC, I saw this former, you know, white supremacist Klansman, and, you know, they asked him what converted him, what got him away from that particular perspective and mindset. And he was talking about, you know, people of color that he worked with and that he um, associated with or just met, you know, on the street. And and they asked him, okay, well, then, you know, if, if they helped you change your mindset, what would you tell everyone to do as far as these, you know, white supremacists that are out here? And he was, like, saying, oh, well, you need to show them kindness and compassion and forgiveness and be loving and turn the other cheek. And doing all of these things can turn these white supremacists around. I don't think so. That's just me. And I've been called a cynic. I've been called a number of things. And, you know, I'm sorry. You can't just sit there and ask me to ignore these white supremacists. You can't sit here and ask me to ignore the laws and the policies and the ordinances that are being put in place to oppress color and poor people. And that would include poor whites. You know, you know, us you know, trying to take the high road is not going to transcend the racist policies and laws that are out there. You know, um, we can't afford to just sit here and create our own reality and, and say, oh, that'll show them. That's not true. That's not how that shit works. And you have a lot of white people out here, liberals and progressives and even some conservatives that are telling us to wait and wait for the right time. This is not the time. Just ignore them. And it'll go, that's not how life works. And then you want to sit here and lecture me on Martin Luther King and twist his words and and attempt to use them against black people to make a point that you you just threw together, right? And and, and we're supposed to sit there and listen to it and then have you turn around and, and call reverse racism and call us racist because we won't stop talking about racism. We can't, we live it every day. And what's interesting about some of these so-called white allies is that they threaten to disavow us because we dare not to genuflect and kiss your ass. We dare to challenge you and to question your motives. We dare to sit there and challenge you and tell you that you really don't know what's best for us. And how dare you sit there and try to tell us that you know what's best for black, brown, red, and yellow people and that you have solutions, but you just haven't implemented it yet, you know, and and then turn around and call us unrepentant, unreformed, unbreakable, nonconformist, and all of these things because we will not 
fit into the little box and a little mold that you put out there that's comfortable for you. And you need to recognize what you're doing and what you're saying and how you're hurting other people, telling us that we should stop talking about racism, we should stop talking about sexism, homophobia, trans, all these things. It's only because you want to stay in your comfort zone, not because you care about what's happening to us. Why? Because you don't have to deal with a lot of this. And if you're white and you're LGBTQ, I used to think that you would have a better understanding of this. But, again, you haven't even dealt with the racism, the sexism, and homophobia and transphobia in the LGBTQ community. You know, and you you talk about all of this shit. And, you know, you try to tell us if we just ignore it, it will all go away. No, ignoring it and not confronting it is what got us to this place where we are now. And, you know, you have those out there that are trying to force us to assimilate. Why can't we just be ourselves? Why why must we be a mirror image of you? Why is it that you will only acknowledge our humanity if we emulate you? You know, you tell us that we should be grateful for what we have. We can be over in Africa somewhere. Well, the truth of the matter is, if you all had not gone over to Africa, Africa would be much different than what it is. Now, you've gone over there and you've stolen everything, you know, and you continue to steal it. And so, you know, we should be grateful because we're over here and you have some ignorant-ass black people that are saying the same thing, well, you know, we would have been over in Africa in a jungle running around. Shut the fuck up. You know, and so, you know, it's interesting because you have some of these same liberal progressives that says that we should be colorblind and that we're living in post-racial America. Look at what just happened. And this is just the beginning because it's going to get worse. And their numbers are going to grow. They're growing. And then you have these white folks that are pointing to Obama and Oprah and Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan as, you know, examples of black success. They're the exception, not the rule. And you need to understand that. And, again, as I stated earlier, when Pianchi called, they use people like that, and then they turn around and use these other cultures and, and try to put that in our face. And, and, you know, again, perpetuating anti-blackness by using blacks as the measuring stick. Oh, you don't want to be like them. So you just need to pay attention. And also, yes, Latinos and Asians and, and indigenous people can be racist. And there are some issues there that need to be addressed. You know, but, you know, what I found refreshing in some ways is that you have a lot of Latinos, Asians, and indigenous people who are aware of what's happening and how, you know, they are being pitted against other communities of color. And so I just want you guys to think about this. And the thing is is that I used to believe some of that shit. And I've come a long way, and, you know, I have no problems admitting I was wrong. And I've been wrong about a lot of shit, you know, which is why if you go back and you listen to some of the earlier shows, you'll understand what I'm saying. And I don't take those shows down because I'm not ashamed of those shows. I'm not ashamed of those things. 
I want you to take that and use it as a as a learning or as an educational moment. You can change. You can learn. You can grow. You can evolve. And I can honestly say that, you know, in my life, I've had, you know, many, you know, different situations, and there have been, you know, metamorphosis, you know, a number of times. And so, um, yeah, guys, again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I want to thank you guys for listening to the show, for being patient with me, being patient with us. We have that archive out there. I would, you know, encourage you guys to go back, listen, learn, do all of that, you know, because it's a privilege and an honor, you know, to be here and to talk to you guys and um, for you allowing me to be a part of your life. So like I said, around October, going to be making some changes for the positive, and like I said, I'm in a much better place, you know, in my life right now, and so I'm actually in a good place. I'm pretty happy, you know, and I plan on staying that way. So, again, you, I missed you guys. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I hope you learned something from today's show. Go back and listen to last week's show, and I don't know what I'm going to talk about next week, but it's going to be talking about white Christian America or just dear white America. So all right, y'all. Y'all take it easy. You know, and I love you. Have a great Sunday. Bye-bye.